Hi, and welcome to No Crying in Baseball, episode number 128, the Where's My $5,000 a Day episode. My name is Patty. I'm here with my friend Potty Mouth. Hi, Potty Mouth. I can't wait to hear about this $5,000 a day that we're getting. Is we're, that, well, we're is not. That in the That's the problem. That we're not getting? Oh, shit. Yep. All yep. right. I do have a couple quick intro things that I wrote down that I want to go through. Number one is my son, who we introduced you to last week. Um, Eris Filpa, and he is in the Dominican Republic. This is the player that I adopted through Adopt an MILB Player. Find him on Twitter, and you too can support a minor leaguer. It's very cool to chat with Eris, like just randomly. He'll send me a message just saying, Buenos dias, how are you? And he is about to grow some avocados because they're not able to do too much in the DR right now. I mean, the, the quarantine situation is getting there. And I think it's limiting things and they're looking into farming and growing avocados and selling them. So I got to see some cool avocado plants. That was my update there. <laughs> I, I was busy having opening day at home. I hope you all got to do that too and watch some of the 30 games that were streamed that highlighted different teams being successful. Like for us, we got to see the Nationals game seven of the World Series, but I also got to see my, um, my Astros boyfriend, um, uh, Abraham Toro save the um, the Verlander no no so that was kind of fun. So oh yeah, that I, was the the way you talked about a couple of weeks ago. When that's you, right. When I was like, oh wait, Toro. I know what's going to happen. And even though I knew it was going to happen in the games that I sort of had on in the background while I was doing my work, can you hear my air quotes? Doing my work from home, mm-hmm. um, I was still so invested in these games. Like, oh my god, catch the ball! Or, oh my god, that was terrible! It was a terrible call! No, it was a strike. It was, and yeah, but it was it was still fun to watch, even though it was historic. Yeah. But the cool part about it, when I was on Twitter while watching, is that there were other people watching the same game with you at the same time. And I'm wondering if MLB could do more of that, because just that idea that there's a crowd reacting to what's happening is pretty cool. So I would like to see more of that. One other note about today, it's Cy Young's birthday. He was born on this day in 1867. My last intro statement is I was sports in, Patty. I was outside you were not sporting. You don't sports. I sportsed with Mr. Potty Mouth. We sportsed with Frisbee in the backyard. And I need some suggestions on future scoring possibilities. This is going to click with our scoring segment that's coming today because we need to figure out how to score Frisbee. We had a streak of 65 across the backyard. So I have to like, when, when it's a drier day, I will lay down with my body and see how many potty mouths the length of the backyard is so that I can judge the distance a little bit. But I think it's a pretty good distance for a streak of, of 65. We together had five penalties for having to hop into the neighbor's yard over the fence. Not easy with the chain link fence around us, but we managed. Uh, definitely too much, many fumbles to count, but I had two buckners. Mr. Potty Mouth threw the Frisbee low. I tend to have kind of like a a wide stanced kind of crouch when I'm playing Frisbee. And the Frisbee went right between my legs, not once, but twice. You know, if you wanted to cross train with hockey, that's called a five hole. Oh, that's good. That sounds better than a Buckner. I mean, I feel when I said that out loud, Mr. Potty Mouth was like, that is just very bad form. You Red Sox fan, you. I don't know, but I'm thinking we should like, we should come up with a Frisbee scoring situation. Like you get so many when it knocks off the trees and then you catch it. And then there was the whole issue is if, did you have control of it before you dropped it? Like, does that count as a catch? So yeah, there's definitely some sportsing that we're going to be doing in the backyard with the Frisbee. If only we had some free time to come up with a scoring (laughs) system. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, on today's show, 
what does the agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players Union mean for player salaries, service time, the draft, and what a short season might look like? We're going to give you an update on the Fantasy Boyfriend Baseball League. How hopeful is that? And we're going to have a, a new segment called Scorekeeping with Blake. We're going to talk about the history of scorekeeping, kind of give you an overview of how it's done and why it's done as we continue to wait for baseball. What a positive show we have in store today. We sure do. Okay, so on opening day, when we should have all been playing baseball. Um, or watching. I, mean, well, I wouldn't have yeah, been playing. Or watching. I was <laughs> yeah. watching. I just wasn't watching the game I wanted to be watching on right, opening right. day. But that's okay. I was still wearing my Senator's jersey, my, my traditional opening day jersey. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the Major League and the Players Union were busy finalizing an agreement that they finally signed on Friday. And this is going to dictate how this crazy possible shortened or possible not at all season is going to go in a lot of ways. I'm going to cry. Let's, let's go for shortened. Let's, yeah, I hope so. So let positive. me tell you, yeah. let me tell you some of the things that were covered. A lot of them are about like debt and like things that are not like, I want to know about the players and I want to know about the game. So we're going to ignore the things mm -hmm. that are around the edges and focus really on what does it mean for me, the fan. The first thing it means is the transactions are now frozen, which means no nobody's going to come off the forty man roster or, or get um, you know sent down to the minors. the The downturn, the downside of this is the guys who are still kind of lost in free agency land are still lost in free agency land. So any any um, any of these plans to pl pay players aren't going to count for them because they don't really have a team. They are currently unemployed. The same thing with the non-roster invitees to the major league spring training camps. They don't have major league contracts. So what we're going to talk about does not necessarily apply to them. So they're kind of um, screwed, basically. Do you know when this started? Can I, can I just ask quick? This was signed on Friday. So any roster moves had to be done by then. Okay, because I saw a couple of quick dumps before then. Yeah. So those things happened immediately in advance of this being signed. So there were a bunch of those roster moves that happened. Let's start with salaries. The first thing that the two sides agreed on, when I say two sides, I mean the organization that is Major League Baseball, the owners, the teams, and the other side is the players union. Okay. They've, they've agreed that there will be a $170 million advance payment over the next two months to Major League players. Okay. This is going to happen no matter what happens later. If the, there's no season, this, this still stands. They don't have to, you know, repay any of this, but this money is going to be spread out over two months. Here's how it's going to be divided. Here's your $5,000 that we're not getting. There are four tiers of players that get different amounts of money per day. Right. And $5,000 a day will go to players who have reached arbitration and they have contracts that don't say, it doesn't matter if you're playing for the majors or you get bounced down to the minor leagues. This is your pay rate. They get $5,000 a day. And this is for the two-month period. The next three layers down are guys who have what are called split deals, which means if you are if you get bounced down to the minors, here's what your pay rate's going to be in the minors. If you stay in the majors, here's what your pay rate's going to be. So the example was Juan Soto for the next level down, for instance, because he's got a really good contract for a guy who hasn't reached arbitration yet, where he gets you know, a boatload of money when he plays for the nationals. But if he gets bounced down, he still gets um, over $150,000 salary for playing in the minors. So that category of guys get $1,000 a day. Right below that, the guys who get below $150,000 to play in the minors 
but more than 91,000 and change get $500 a day. And the guys below that get $275 a day. So it's kind of like it's attached to what your contract says, what your salary is going to be. One thing that I read before this was signed said that players can turn down that salary to keep that amount in the pool. But I don't know how it would be divided up differently. So I don't know what the point of that would be. I mean, it it sounds generous, but then who's going to get that, right? So if Mm -hmm. if and when the season Mm -hmm. happens... Players will be paid their prorated salary. So if they play 80 games, they'll get paid, you know, for half the games, basically. They'll get paid for those 80 games. And their bonuses will be prorated too. So, you know, if you're a pitcher and you've got to pitch, you know, 100 innings, whatever it is, and there's half a season, you'd get that bonus, probably half that bonus at half that time, right? So they're going to, like, do a lot of math about that. One of the things that that the players union gave up was the right to sue the owners for full salaries. Like, the season is canceled there's a chance that they would have just sued them and said, Hey, we have a contract and you got to pay us. This says we're not going to sue. We can't sue you because we're going to get this lump sum and we've agreed to prorated if it's going to happen. So that's the salary part. The other part, which I find fascinating is service time. We've talked about service time a lot. These are, this is how much time a player has to put in on a, on a major league squad before they are, they qualify for free agency before they qualify for where the real money is, right? So the the really good agreement that got made was if a partial season is played this year, anybody who is on the roster for the season or on the, um, the injured list for the season, for however long they play, gets credit for a full year of service time. So this means that if you, you know, if you were going to be there on opening day, if you're on the, if you're on the roster, you're going to play, you get that year, whether you play or not. So example that keeps going around is Mookie Betts, right? He's supposed to be a free agent at the end of the season. And the, the Dodgers made this, you know, quote deal with the Red Sox to get him. What if he doesn't play a single game for the Dodgers, he's still a free agent at the end of the season, right? Yay. Yay. <laughs> That's great. Great news. The downside is, we know, we always talk about those minor league guys who get the late call-ups. They're not on the opening day roster. They get called up in April, Mm -hmm. right, so that the the teams can keep them from an extra year. If there's no season this year, players get credited for the same number of days of service time as they got last year. So if you got called up late last year, you're basically getting called up late against this year. So those guys that started in April or later – are not getting this beautiful deal where, you know. Oh, yeah. So that's, so like, so you're Vlad Jr. Mm-hmm. You're Vlad Jr. You're, you're, you're Boba Fett. Those guys are are going to get, you know, kind of chipped away at. It's going to take them longer to get to free agency. So briefly, let's talk about the draft. If a draft happens this year, it may only be five rounds instead of 40. So think about how many of those guys are not going to get drafted, right? And next season, the commissioner has the um, discretion to knock the 40 back down to 20. So that part's not okay. That part's especially not okay. And especially if we were to go back and look, like, let's do some research and figure out which round people got picked in, it's going to be pretty staggering at how many players would have missed out. And why, why next year do that? And and think about this. So if you're a high school guy who is really highly rated and you are pretty much a sure thing to get drafted this year, you didn't make a move on college. And if you are not in these five rounds, 
you've got to scramble because you've got to get into yeah. a school. If you were a college junior and we're ready for the draft, there's no draft. There's only a little bit of a draft. You are going to stay in school, right? And is, is your college team, does it have the capacity for you? Right. So college teams can only take so many guys. There's talk about maybe working with the, um, you know, the, the college system to give them larger rosters to work with. But now they've got, and so, the, and this season, the college season was, you know, canceled very right. early. So you've got, you've got this glut of people who will be in the college system and nobody coming in to the minors. If you have nobody coming into the minors, you don't need all those minor league teams. Do you see what just happened there? Oh no. Does this go back into the 42 team? Elimination it sure does. Oh, it, short season would be out because the short season guys are the brand new guys, like the, you know, the 18 year olds and all of that. They'll be, I mean, so it really, the ripple effect is huge. It ripples through the minors and that kills the farm teams and it, and it kills, you know, baseball out in these communities. And it also it creates this havoc in the college system. So there's that. All right. Moving on briefly to games, both sides, again, the both sides, the players union and MLB will work out the plan when we know that a season will start to play as many games as possible. Everybody wants to play as many games as possible. That won't start until there is, you know, a decision that, you know, the lifting of the no mass gatherings restrictions, right. To make, it can't start if there are any travel bans between the United States and Canada, because we have some Canadian teams, well, a Canadian team, um, and we have to be sure that playing does not expose players, workers, or fans to health risks. That may be accomplished by playing to empty stadiums or playing in alternate sites. Like if there's a, you know, you're not going to play in New York City anytime soon. But what if there's, you know, some place that's got the sta- a stadium available where there's less it risk? Was a so Canadian team all was of those things race. are up in the air. Everything's on the table. The other thing that we have to be sure is in place in order to start games again is to make sure the playing does not expose players, workers, or fans to health risks. So if you know the curve is not flat enough to make this a comfortable thing, that may mean we plan on alternate sites. We play baseball without fans in the state in the stands, or we play baseball in a part of the country that has already a flattened curve, or like, you know. It's not New York or the Bay Area or whatever. So the, anything's on the table to make baseball happen, but they're not going to make it happen unless it is deemed safe in consultation with the CDC and et cetera. That empty stadium thing is super interesting. I think they've been doing that in Japan. I haven't checked recently, but the first game that I saw with Gerardo Parra for the Giants in Japan, it was an empty stadium. Yeah, I think they might not be playing at all now, but they were trying that for a while. And, you know, that's not ideal for anybody, but it's better than no baseball at all, Right. right? Right. At least we can watch, you know, on our devices. We can follow along. We'll just scream really loud. The other thing that we can do um, is get our fantasy baseball league ready. You already have had to make changes and we're just getting started with the Fantasy League. Yeah, you know, I announced, especially it's changes to what I just announced on this podcast like two weeks ago when we talked about our pitching lineup. I think uh, everybody's probably heard by now that Noah Syndergaard of the Mets just had Tommy John surgery, which is actually a whole nother fucking discussion that Verlander, Sale, and Syndergaard all got to have their Tommy John surgery during this health crisis, but All right, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to talk about positive after I freaked out about, of course, this is like that Mets luck and now it's hit me for picking the Mets. I started looking at who I was going to sub in for Syndergaard and I had ignored Steven Matz. And I'm feeling kind of guilty about that right now because I am now going to, you know, be positive. 
I'm going to believe that Mats is going to step up for Thor. He is training through this whole thing. And he's training in Nashville, so he's not that far from us, uh, throwing bullpen twice a week. He's been in touch with his pitching coach, so he's working at it. And beyond that, he's a nice guy. So he fits my baseball boyfriend qualifications. He has this thing called the True 32 Initiative since 2015, where he's honored first responders. And he's already commented on how appropriate that is today when we're all just totally in debt once again to our first responders. And what he's done in the past is invited them to City Field to watch BP, meet and have pictures with him, and he springs for their tickets. So I have a feeling that once all this gets started again, I'm going to be absolutely loving Stephen Matz for what he's doing on the field and off the field. Um, super quick, some more baseball boyfriend mentions. I, I'm trying to interact on Twitter. I really am. I suck as Twitter as a foreign language, but I'm working on it. And I once again got a, a comment from Carlos Aswaje who's like from back from episode 10, back where we barely said much about our baseball boyfriends. I adored briefly Aswake, and I still do from the, he was in the Padres then. And he made a comment the other day, which I just kind of, it just kind of made me go, huh? He said that now regular people understand what baseball players go through in that not knowing what day it is kind of thing. And I just wrote, like, I think that dichotomy between regular people and baseball players is kind of interesting. So I wasn't, like, cr criticizing him. I was just kind of pointing out, like, hmm, that's an interesting way to look at the world. And he actually responded saying, sorry, I meant people with regular schedules or something like that. I don't have the exact tweet. But I was all excited that, like, I actually got a response from him. And, of course, I wrote back saying, hey, you're one of our guys, but no further there. And now you're best friends. I love how that works. It, yeah, almost. I mean, I'm hopeful. I'm going to keep like rooting for Aswake, despite like how all our Padres friends seem to think <laughs> poorly about him. I guess he had a rough time then. But but the other Mets dude who I've totally fallen for, Marcus Stroman, he's the best follow on Twitter. And he put out, all right, I'm going to have to screen this with you, Patty. He put out this 10 push-up challenge. And of course, his push-ups were like the clapping kind, like he did a push-up and clapped in between. And a the couple people responded, big boy push-ups. So I did potty mouth push-ups. I recorded my potty mouth push-ups twice. I recorded them yesterday and I looked at them and boy, did they suck, like totally suck. But I was, I tried it three times yesterday. So that's 30 push-ups for Stroman that I did. And I was just like, fuck it by then. I just couldn't get it right. So today I went in fresh. I recorded my 10. I kind of still think they suck. I don't, I don't feel really comfortable about tweeting them. So I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm going to have you screen it. I might do a few more push-ups, but but look at the bonus here. I'm here doing push-ups at home in hopes of getting something tweetable. <laughs> I appreciate your dedication. So so as the commissioner of the league, is this one of my other duties as assigned, like approving yes. your workout? Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Check on my push-ups. Check on my push-ups. So we have 13 teams in the league, which I'm excited about. That's way more than last year. That is such uh, a lucky, auspicious number. That's right. Baker's doesn't. <laughs> and people have been submitting their rosters. And what I like is, so people have to submit them basically offline to me. Not We're not doing, you know, bidding or, you know, going in rounds because we have the baseball rules. And I have to check all the stupid baseball rules. I mean, I love them, but like the boyfriend rules. Mm -hmm. So, but, but people have been... I'm commenting on their rosters. Like the kids team had great things like um, 
redacted, like the Atlanta redacted team and the Cleveland redacted team <laughs> and the great. Houston cheaters. And then one of our new teams, Karen's team, um, used the phrase they hated more than once to, to describe the, the Yankees and also to describe the Giants. So I like that people are putting their personality into this. I'm the only one that's going to see it, but as the one who's got to review all of these rosters, I appreciate that. I am, however, in boyfriend rule hell because, as you know, like people who are in our league have to follow the rules that Potty Mouth and I have, which are you can't have more than one guy per team and mm-hmm. they can't be assholes. So I have to like do all the, I have to review to make sure, okay, yeah, you didn't, you know, no one else has this guy, but also you don't have two guys from the Reds or two guys from, you know, the cards or whatever you have. And then I ended up going back and forth with people a couple times around. So it's a thankless job, but there's beer and um, people are nice. So oh, there, okay there's so much thanks. I so appreciate you. I can't imagine <laughs> dealing with this kind of minutia. Just, I just want to do a recap because we didn't talk about what our baseball boyfriends are in case anybody out there is listening to us for the first time. We've been spending a lot of time checking guys out. One guy each per team. That means each of us pick one guy per team through the off season because they're cool and they have some skills. So now we're doing this fantasy league and everybody who joined gets to do that with us, which means it's 13 times as much work for Patty because she not only screens our entries, but everybody else's who's involved. So it's kind of good that we cut it at 13, huh? That's why I get paid the big, oh wait. Oh yeah. I get paid the crap. I did receive a bribe today. I I received a bribe. I'm not going to tell you what it is. And they said, no, this is not a bribe, but I totally think it was a bribe. I will leave it at that. Oh, I'm so curious. We have a special segment today on No Crying in Baseball, special scorekeeping segment to get you ready for the season. And with us, we have Blake Krause, who we first met while he was keeping score. And we admired his skills so much that we've invited him on the show today. So welcome, Blake. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So happy to have you here. We ask all our guests to start by telling us about their own personal baseball history. So please do. Yeah, sure. Well, I grew up uh, on Long Island, uh, New York, proud Long Islander. Um, Played Little League, wasn't very good, which we'll get into a little later. Um, But um, always loved baseball. Uh, When I was a kid, my dad would buy some... uh, tickets from his friend to go to the Yankees games. And as a kid going to watch Derek Jeter and uh, Mariana Rivera was just incredible. Um, I mean, what better way to hook you into baseball than watching some of those guys. But uh, well, I, I might uh, disagree on that a little well, bit, but I'll, I'll let you go on Blake. I'll give you a break. <laughs> a little bit of redemption for, for you there. Yeah. Because as I got older, they knocked down the old stadium, which I loved and grew up with and built the new stadium and our tickets quadrupled and I couldn't go anymore. Um, and so my love of the New York Yankees turned very quickly into hate for the New York Yankees. I can get behind that. Um, He's on our team after all. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I kind of lost my way a little bit. Uh, my hometown New York Islanders were getting better. Um, and so I focused on that. But uh, a good friend of mine in college or in uh, high school was one of the best pitchers I've ever seen to this day. Um, and I used to go to all his games. So that love of baseball kept up until I moved down to D.C., um, for college and found the Washington Nationals and very quickly turned into an insane Nationals fan. Um, and that's where I've been ever since. And that's where we first found you up in section 408, scoring your little heart out. Heart out. Disheveled so- with a ice cream in one hand and a <laughs> pen in the other hand. But it worked. You totally make it work. 
and and we totally <laughs> admire this. So could we get your maybe your recap on why scorekeeping? Why do people do this? Yeah, you know, um, I, of course, have my own reasons, which we can talk about. But um, I think that for a lot of people, there's a lot of different reasons. And it's not just one. It's probably a combination. Um, but, you know, going back in the day to, you know, when my grandfather was going to Brooklyn Dodgers games, um, you know, there was no MLB app. You know, <laughs> right. the scorecards weren't detailed. You, If you wanted to know how many strikeouts Max Scherzer, uh, you know, well, let's say it's 1950s, you know, Sandy Koufax had in a game you were at, you had no way of knowing till you looked uh, in the paper the next day. And so it was a way for you to have all that information right in front of you. It's kind of um, like but, you get the scoop, right? You get it before it's reported. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's for a lot of people, it's it's relaxing. Um, it's something they've always done. It, it feels natural to them to do at a ballpark. Um, but also, uh, you know, for a lot of people, it also helps them pay closer attention to the game. You learn more about um, different strategies, different ways of doing things, why things happen a certain way. I mean, having to pay such close attention really made me learn about pitch sequences, for example. Um, you know, another reason I really like scorekeeping is because you never know when something cool is going to happen. Um, you know, everyone goes to the ballpark hoping for that perfect game or no hitter or something crazy. Um, and while I haven't gotten that, you know, I have very proudly my scorecards from the all-star game from Max Scherzer's 300 strikeout, um, a few seasons back. Um, Michael A. Taylor once hit an inside the park grand slam, which I thought was pretty neat. That's incredible. You know, all those, all those little things. Um, you know, but I think um, one thing that's really special about scorekeeping is that unlike other sports, keeping score in baseball, it's an art form. In basketball, you're keeping track of fouls and points, and, you know, it's all statistics. Mm -hmm. But there's so many different things that happen in a baseball game that you're keeping track of. Um, so it's not just a record of the game. It's your record, you know, of your experience watching the game. You can look back and remember little things um, that you were doing or observing. Um, and that's because, you know, your scorekeeping format also might be unique to you. That's one of the special things about scorekeeping. So that's, yeah, I just want to add one thing about that paying attention bit, because I know we've talked about this on the show before, but as a parent, I am seriously regretting not having taught my child scorekeeping as a young child. So you parents out there with little kids do the right thing, because when Patty's daughter finally taught my daughter, how to keep score. What was it last summer, the summer before? Like, I think my kid watched the game for the first time in her life. So at least it's, for a, it's a positive thing to do for your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Then then yeah. there's the doodle space too around the side. That's a bonus. Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I, I refused to get up and pee during games. I refused to get <laughs> food. I used to ask friends to do, unless I was with a friend that knew how to scorekeep and it had to be a friend I trusted not to screw it up and would stick to my system. <laughs> That's awesome. Blake is that guy for us. If one of us has to get up and pee or get another beer, both of – see how those are, things are related? We will come back and ask Blake, what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> and we appreciate mm -hmm. that. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. You know, and amazingly, uh, you know, who the person I go to the games with, um, Danielle, who sits next to you guys, doesn't know how to score keep. So I, I've really failed <laughs> oh, at my wow. side having someone cover my back. but. <laughs> Although she seems pretty engaged already, so she doesn't need it as like that hook into paying attention to the game. Yeah. Let's let's talk a little bit about um, 
the history of scorekeeping. So like we all have our personal reasons for doing it, but, and, you know, as you said, we all have our own styles for doing it if we do it at all, but where did it come from? How did it get started? Yeah, sure. So it started um, actually with uh, um, a man from England in the 1860s. His name was um, Henry Chadwick. Um, and he grew up playing cricket. He loved cricket. He grew up playing other sports that are similar to today's baseball. And then he came to America and he was a sports reporter and he covered baseball. Um, now, of course, back in the 1800s, there were no videos, there was no photos, there was no way of recording the game. So he came up with what was the first box score. Now, when we think of a box score now, we might think of just a stats line that we see in the paper or something like that. But his first box score was a lot closer to a scorecard. It was a nine by nine grid, nine innings, nine players, and he kept track of everything that happened. Um, he also assigned all the player positions numbers. So one is the pitcher all the way through um, nine being the right fielder. Um, and then he came up with statistics to, to use for these things that he was keeping track of. So he was a pioneer of things like uh, earned run average and batting average. Um, and so he really started all of this. Now, quickly, the box score that you'd see in a paper developed closer to what we see today. But his method, uh, you know, his first box score being closer to a scorecard also still exists in, in keeping score. Um, he was also the first to come up with K for strikeout. Because yeah, no, back then... About you, that, what is that about? Because it doesn't make any sense to me for strikeout. Is it like a knockout thing? Or what is that? Yeah, so there's there's a few origin stories, but the one that is is regarded as the truest is the fact that back then, you know, people weren't hitting home runs. It wasn't as much of a a hitter's game as it is today. It was a very different game. I mean, back then you could the ball could bounce once, and if you caught it on the bounce, that was an out. Um, and so he needed to use S for sacrifice. Um, and, and, you know, remembering that so many more runs were scored in that fashion, um, that was a big deal. So he had to come up with something for strikeout. So he decided on K because K is the predominant, um, um, letter in the word strike next to S. Hey, that was going to be my guess. I, I'm bummed that I didn't say that. Yeah. And also because back <laughs> then it was a lot more frequently, it was referred to as knockout. And so the All K right. made sense. Yeah. All right. So what are the rules? Does it, are there specific rules like the way it's always done or do you have a little bit of individual style or, or are there different camps like the, you know, one person's camp and the other person's camp of keeping score? I'm clueless. So fill me in. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of three levels of this. There's kind of things that everybody does. Um, so following that number system that, that Henry Chadwick came up, the one through nine system for position. Can we pause um, right there for one second? Cause I want to ask about that. It makes me nuts. Those numbers don't match the base numbers. I yep, swear to you, too, I've been always. keeping score yep. off and on for 10 years. And I almost always have to start with a picture and count in my head to figure out what the number is. I don't, it makes That's me nuts. That's what I do. Yeah. You know, it, it's not how I would have set it up, but evidently I was not around back then to uh, <laughs> fight with Mr. Chadwick. I, um, I'll tell you though, it's, uh, the thing that always gets me is right field versus left field. Cause once you're going around the infield, okay. You know, it goes, um, but the other thing that's really tough these days is the shift, right? So you have the, the first baseman's three, second baseman, four, third baseman is five, and then shortstop is six. 
But if there's a switch and somehow the third baseman's all the way in the second baseman spot, I mean, what do you do? Right. And I, to be honest, I can't always see that from our seats. So, um, the the system is, you know, I mean, we can have our disagreements with it, but evidently, I think that's one of the things that remains constant throughout all scorekeepers. Um, some of the other things that also remain constant, I, I, I see generally the way you like notate a ground out, you know, being the the two num a number dash number whatever the positions are what was picked up and thrown um the strikeouts tend to be um pretty consistent um then there are things where there's predominantly two or three styles but can vary from person to person so for example some people use scorecards that have little um diamond outlines on it and to advance the runner they draw around the diamond and they might write 1b for first base or 2b or for a double 3b for a triple hr for a home run whereas other people might use a line system where it's one slash for a single two slashes for a double so that's that's kind of like the two major systems but most people use one or the other and then there's a lot of individuality for the remaining you know you can Go as in-depth as you want. If you want to keep track of where balls were hit, you can draw that on. If you don't care, that's fine, too. Um, most people use F if it's a, a fly-out or L if it's a line-out, um, and then to the position that caught it. But Bob Carpenter, uh, who's, who's you know Washington, D.C.'s premier scorekeeper, doesn't use F <laughs> at all. Up. He just writes the number. And if it's a line drive, if it's a line drive, he literally puts a line under it to mean line drive. Um, you know that you know, there's so, going to be an F in my scorebook, right? I can't, oh, absolutely. I can't follow Every that. part of your daily life. <laughs> I, I have old scorebooks from when I was a kid. I'm going to take pictures and send them to you and see. I thought that I kind of like winged it, but I think I followed the directions in the program. So I'm going to go look those up because that's a good thing to do in this quarantine situation. And I will send you pictures. I learned when um, when uh, when Cam was playing softball, I got coerced into being the scorekeeper. And then later, when Cam was a coach, I volunteered to keep score for you know the the little league baseball team. And some of those notations, like where the ball went, was important for the coaches. So, like part of what I was doing was so the coaches could review, like, oh, this person from the other team always hits it over there. So you, you, you would learn from it from inning to inning, which is different than when I'm watching a Nats game. And if I'm keeping score, it's just to kind of like remember the game or kind of to stay engaged in the game. Yeah, and that's exactly it. I mean, it's all about what you want to get out of it um, and what you care about and what you're most interested in. In my scorebooks, there's a ton of notes on the side because any small record or anything that's of interest to me, I put in. I mean, I keep track of who wins the president's race because to me, that's kind of fun. <laughs> that's so, so cool. I admire you for that. For, for listeners time. who have not been to a game at Nats Park, the um, the middle of the fourth inning, the um, the four president mascots come out and do a race, much like the condiment races that you've seen or the sausage races that you've seen or the pierogi races that you may have seen, depending on what ballpark you hang out at. I think Miami has a Goya Foods product um, race, if I recall. I'm not sure if they still have it, but they had it at one point, if I recall. I could be wrong, Um, but everyone at home, I recommend you YouTube the president's race. It's a a barrel full of monkeys. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. And never a dull moment. You never know what's going to happen. So the the scores at MLB games, there's – a big deal made when scoring is changed during the game, right? So like sometimes they'll make an announcement, this is how you score the play. But 
it might change. Like what, how does that happen? What is that yeah, kind of thing and the about? commentators will, the commentators will call your attention to that. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of uh, two people that that has consequences on. The first is me as a scorekeeper. Um, you know, one of the big debates in scorekeeping is the idea of if I should score the game as it's officially scored, or should I score the game as I see it? So, you know, no bad blood for the uh, scorekeeper at Nats Park, but I often disagree with their uh, decisions on pass balls versus wild pitches. Or if you see a play that looks like an error um, and they rule the hit or vice versa, the question is, should you score it how they score it um, or score it how I score it um, or, you know, score it how you want to score it? Um, there's there's a funny story that a baseball writer was at a uh, ballpark with a friend of his that was keeping score, and he wrote down what he thought the play was because he disagreed with the official scorekeeper. And his friend, the baseball writer, said, "What are you doing? That's not that's not what happened in the game." Um, and and the scorekeeping friend said, "Well, uh, what are they going to do? Put me in scorekeeper jail?" <laughs> you know. So there's that's the limited consequence. the The consequence on the player is much bigger. Um, you know, so you have to understand that an MLB scorekeeper, there's actually no uniform way of keeping score. They even have their own unique styles. The only rules are that it's legible and, and a consistent style so that if the MLB wants to go back and retrace the game, they can. Um, and then, of course, I mean, there are official definitions of things like what's an error or what's an earned run. But those official definitions still, you know, there's a level of discretion in in making a play or a run fit under one of those definitions. And for a player, that can have a lot of consequences. If something's ruled a hit, um, that could have been an error. But but for players, you know, that can mean a lot. Um, yeah, the MLB scorekeepers, uh, you'd think there'd be one uniform way of keeping score, but actually the official scorekeepers have liberty to, to scorekeep in their own unique styles as long as it's um, legible and consistent so that if the MLB goes back and wants to retrace the game, they can do that easily. Um, and then, of course, you know, there are things that, that are, are rooted in rules but are still discretionary. So there's a definition for what an error is or an earned run, but, you know, declaring something an error or an earned run is at the official scorekeeper's discretion. Um, and though it has no impact on the game playing on the field per se, um, for players and their statistics, it means a lot. Um, if someone's throwing a no-hitter and a play that could have been ruled an error, questionably, is called a hit by by um, the scorekeeper, well, there goes the no-hitter. Um, and, you know, um, yeah. there's a story a few years back about um, the great King Felix Hernandez up in uh, Seattle um, having three earned runs. Um, they were ruled unearned. Um, at the time by the scorekeeper, but then two weeks later, the MLB reversed it. And that had a big impact on his ERA. It shot his ERA up, um, which, you know, for a guy who's looking to make a Cy Young run at that point, you know, that makes a big difference. I have a question about that. If it happens that late, like, you know, days or weeks later, as opposed to like reconsidering it during the game, is that because someone has filed a complaint of some sort? Do you know? I, I have no idea. Um, I, so I read, it was one article that I read, um, and it seemed to me that the way it happened was that the MLB chose to review it. I guess the sequence of events was that, um, an earned run is basically in this case, the scorekeeper thought that a third out should have been recorded, but a mistake made on the field stopped 
all three outs from being recorded, which is what resulted in those three runs. Um, I think because it was so many, the MLB looked at it and was like, let's make sure that that's three whole unearned runs in an inning where six runs were scored. Um, but in the article, it said that Felix Hernandez actually had the opportunity to then appeal that. Um, huh. I'm not sure how that resulted because there's not a lot of articles about it. It's a very niche thing, and this was written in the middle of it. Um, but yeah, it seems to me, and I don't quite know the intricacies, but that there's a whole process for this, I mean, that players have the opportunity if things are changed um, at least that dramatically to then you know, say, can you look at it again? Dang, the more you know, right? So um, next week, Blake's going to start teaching us all how to keep score. I think we're going to learn the Blake Kraus way. Is that it? Um, so, so tell us what we should do to prepare for next week. What should we have ready? Um, should we have a score sheet? If so, what should we look for in a score sheet? Give us some coaching for how to be ready for you next week. Sure. So um, first things first, uh, the the most quintessential thing you'll need is a pen or pencil, which is up to you. I'm bold. I go for the pen. Damn. I even even like the multicolor pen because I like keeping track of different things, but I'm a bit of a lunatic. So a regular old pen is fine for you guys. I've never gone Um, beyond a mechanical pencil. That I thought was already like state of the art. (laughs) I never liked those. I always break the tips off. Couldn't I do that? I'm not big on the mechanical pencil. Um, but, but your choice, everyone, just a writing utensil, any old thing is fine. A spoon. I mean, if you can write with it, it's good. (laughs) Um, uh, if you have a score book at home and you want to play along, feel free to use that one. Um, for someone whose score keeps a lot like me, uh, there's, if you're in the market for a score book, there's two I particularly like. Um, I like Bob Carpenter's score book, um, that he does. You can find that at scorebookbob.com or something like that. Um, and then the C.S. Patterson Scoremaster, that's the one I used for years. I mean, the things that I like in a scorecard is that, first of all, I like having ample space for things because I have terrible handwriting and I make a lot of mistakes and I'm a big <laughs> mess. And so the more space I can have, um, the better. I like to have a lot of lines dedicated to pitchers um, because you never know how many pitchers are going to come in a game. Same with extra innings. You never know how long baseball is going to go. And because I'm a fan of a National League team, I like to have extra space under the batters for pinch hitters and double switches and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, you can basically use anything as a score sheet. Um, if you, I see a lot of people at the park using legal pads or notebooks, and they kind of draw their own grid or just use the lines on the paper. Um, because as I said, I'm a mess. I much prefer to use a scorecard. Um, So the one we're all going to use next week that everyone can find, it's um, free online. Uh, You can find it at baseballscorecard.com. And they have a few there. The one we're going to use is the one that's called their vertical scorecard. So it's baseballscorecard.com and it's the vertical scorecard. Cool. Excellent. And we will put that in the notes so everybody can download a copy of that if they want to play along because it'll be a lot easier to visualize if you're drawn along with us. Blake, this is really fun. I can't wait till next week to learn how to do this the right way because I learned by doing, which is not necessarily the best, but it worked for me so far. I'm happy to have you with us. We think we're going to have two more sessions with Blake. We're going to learn how to do it, and then we're going to have an assignment of watching an inning, the same inning of the same game. So Blake can grade our homework two weeks from now. Thank you, Blake. I appreciate you. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And remember, there's no right or wrong way of doing it. However you do it is the right way. 
I just want to say it's great to hang out with Blake again. So this is just fun talking baseball, talking to Blake. I'm looking forward to this. Well, thank you. I'm looking forward to it too. Hey, for next week, get your pencils ready. So you're ready to keep score with Blake and learn about those things. In the meantime, if you have some time on your hands and you're not busy working on Frisbee scoring for the Potty Mouth family, you can be listening to the past episodes or telling your friends about the podcast. If you think they'd like to hear us talk about baseball or dream about baseball right along with us. Potty Mouth, can you tell people where they can find us on social media? Check in with us on Twitter at NCIB Podcast, on Facebook and Instagram at No Crying in B-Ball. Send us an email at ncibpodcast at gmail.com. And thanks again to Blake. Until next week, say goodnight, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Wee. Wee.